Hello, and welcome back to Tabling the Podcast. My name is Ariana Karp, and I am here with a wonderful group of actors to take us through Act 3 of the wild, wonderful, weird King John that I think we've determined so far is a bit of a farce slash satire slash something that is both of the genre and making fun of the genre at the same time. Um, so without further ado, so we, we just had a crazy act to please listen to the previous episode so you can hear all of the back and forth and, um, the changing allegiances, uh, turning on a dime. And now we seem to have, okay, we've got a solution, but we forgot about one very important element, which is Madam Constance. And she is very unhappy. And she has said, here I and sorrow sit. Here's my throne. Bid those kings come bow to my throne of sorrow. So we're going to see what happens there. Tis true, fair daughter. And this blessed day ever in France shall be kept festival. To solemnize this day, the glorious sun stays in his course and plays the alchemist, turning with splendor of his precious eye, the meager, cloddy earth to glittering gold. The yearly course that brings this day about shall never see it but a holiday. A wicked day and not a holy day. What hath this day deserved? What hath it done that it in golden letters should be set among the high tides in the calendar? Nay, rather turn this day out of the week, this day of shame, oppression, perjury, or if it must stand still, let wives with child pray their burdens may not fall this day, lest their hopes prodigiously be crossed. But on this day, let seamen fear no wreck, no bargains break that are not this day made, this day all things begun come to ill end. Yea, faith itself to hollow falsehood change. By heaven, lady, you shall have no cause to curse the fair proceedings of this day. Have I not pawned to you, my majesty? You have beguiled me with a counterfeit resembling majesty, which being touched and tried, proves valueless. You are forsworn, forsworn. You came in arms to spill mine enemy's blood, but now in arms you strengthen it with yours. The grappling vigor and rough frown of war is cold in amity and painted peace, and our oppression hath made up this league. Arm, arm, you heavens against the perjured kings. A widow cries, be husband to me, heavens. Let not the hours of this ungodly day wear out the days in peace, ere sunset, said arm it thus discord twixt these perjured kings. Oh, hear me, hear me. Lady Constance, peace. War, war, no peace. Peace is war. Peace is to me a war. Oh, Limogenes, oh, Austria, thou dost shame that bloody spoil. Thou knave, thou wretch, thou coward, thou valiant, great in villainy. 
thou ever strong upon the stronger side, thou fortune's champion that dost never fight. But when her humorous ladyship is by to teach thee safety, thou art perjured too, and soothest up greatness. What a fool art thou, a ramping fool, to brag and stamp and swear upon my party. Thou cold-blooded knave, hast thou not spoke like thunder on my side? been sworn my soldier bidding me depend upon thy stars thy fortune and thy strength and dost dost thou now fall over to my foes thou wear a lion's hide doth it for shame doth it for shame and hang a calf's skin on those recreant limbs oh, oh that a man should speak those words to me and hang a calf skin on those recreant limbs? Thou dares not say so, villain, for thy life. And hang a calf skin on those recreant limbs. We like not this, thou dost forget thyself. So let's pause there, because now we're gonna have, uh, after, after this little section uh, I've titled the next one, a new authority enters and complicates things. Um, so, right, we've got, King Philip, some of his like most beautiful language so far with the cloddy earth and the glittering gold and like, he's feeling it. I feel like somehow he's just a, a little bit more touching the ground in this scene somehow at the beginning. And then in comes Constance and she's like this, this wrecking ball into the situation. Um, and the way that she plays, like he just says, holiday and then she takes day and she repeats it like 11 times in a page it's kind of extraordinary um what what were everyone's thoughts as we just read that first section of of act three i mean it, i think it's so interesting coming off of like yesterday when we saw the woman the women so sort of like craftily and like carefully being like let's be smart about this not, let's not jump into something to see her then come in and say you know war war no peace peace is to me a war is like pretty pretty powerful yeah absolutely that i that line really is haunting to me uh, peace is to me a war it, it seems also as if she uh uh, uh prays for other women and and sailors so there's some um uh uh what's the word i'm looking for uh, you know, looking out for others. Like this isn't just a bad day for her, but it's a bad day for everyone. Let everyone just pause for, because this day is just bad. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and I think there's a sense that this day is a deceptive day. This day, a lot of promises were made that were just broken. And so the, you know, I, I, I keep thinking about what you said last time, Sam, about how you know, it becomes very disturbing if you equate Arthur with the town and, and then what happens to that town. They're all swear to, they're there to defend the town. And then all of a sudden they say, no, we're going to destroy the town. And there's something in that, that like the values system is just very slippery and things don't hold on to their value. It's sort of like, well, how can I bargain this away? And how can I, yeah, how, how can I get the, you know, um, one, I think it's Philip's line about 
we've turned from her to our own vantage. We've, we've made a much better deal for us because they just, instead of just having Arthur, they just got all that land because of a marriage that happened like two seconds ago. So it's almost like they, they've, she doesn't have a, 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 a military force behind her that has anything to gain by siding with her. And so she, she completely loses um, all of her, her power. And it seems that, you know, she, she's quite good at cursing people out. I think so. she, she also like, she uses the right words because she's not like, she, she knows because she repeats perjured kings and she says perjury all the time. And it's like, yeah. this isn't, you're, you're a king. This isn't a personal affront. If you promised me something that is a promise of state. And if you go against that, yeah. like the, the, like the power of like perjury as the accusation and not like it, it, she makes it, she makes it political and not personal while like saying all these very, these very personal things, Yeah, um, which is wild. And she brings back the, I mean, I feel like, especially in the last act, but throughout the whole play, we have all these like this crazy, like lion imagery and like everything is like weirdly about Richard the Lionhearted who like isn't here, but he's in every single thing anyone says. And she brings it back there. She's like, thou wear a lion's hide you know she she brings it back at the end she's like remember this guy he's so important yeah so it's she's she's like clearly very emotional and passionate but she like knows exactly what to say that's gonna like she knows what's gonna really get to him oh she pushes all the buttons oh my god anyway Bronwyn's <laughs> I just feel like this entire scene and its totality should just be called promises promises because it's yeah it continues from there like it just only gets worse with the promises that are dug up in my entrance absolutely and i love this little it's like the bastard is like just the glue on the shoe of austria just like austria can never say anything without the bastard being like oh yeah asshole take that you know like it's just so it's so wonderful yeah. I'm getting this kind of image with uh, with Austria. It's almost, I've once I've once heard from someone. I was in a subway car and uh, a homeless or or a person. I'm not sure if they're homeless or not, but was being really loud and talking a lot and kind of like threatening everyone in the car. And somebody sitting near me was like, "You really?" I think it was like, "It's the loud ones that you don't have to worry about at all," <laughs> or something like that. Like. <laughs> someone's being that loud they're overcompensating for the fact they're not going to do anything and i almost feel like austria is like a loud one like he's yeah. like I'm, a, I'm a strong man i'm a big man like everybody yeah. be quiet like, shut up constance like but it feels almost like the bastard sees through his loudness or like his burliness or something not that i feel very burly but like through <laughs> this man in skin and it's like you're just a little you can't do shit you know yeah like, yeah Oh, yeah. absolutely. And that the, the thing that he was known for, you know, killing the lion, he just took that. Like that wasn't a huge, he didn't defeat the lion. He just took I the mean, lion's like robe. Lion... Right. I mean, unless I miss, I haven't done quite enough research, but it sounds like the lion was in jail when he killed him or like that he had him mm. captive in the conflation of the two characters. Either way, it doesn't really sound like a battle of like strength. It yeah. sounds more like a murder of convenience, you know? 
which will yeah, be it's littered like the, through the plays <laughs> murders of convenience it, it's like austria wants you to be afraid of his size and he's wanting you to think that he's a real threat physically but you can tell the bastard's really just like a fire poker and it's like kind of he's gonna use his wit and his like just annoying behavior to unnerve everyone else like it's it's just a different type of attack that you haven't seen he's like a little yappy dog instead of a big (laughs) agreed and i do have to say i do enjoy the fact that the bastard is an asshole but he also understands when uh someone else came up with the best bit because he's like oh good one constance yeah yeah (laughs) that's so true (laughs) so respect to constance in that moment i i always think that like the bastard is probably like listening to the speech being like oh yeah give it to him man like (laughs) yeah that was good i'm gonna take that last one um because i this yeah calls Austria's bluff because Austria's like if a man said this to me I'd kill him here in front of everyone and the bastard's like okay I'm a man and then I'll say it right right <laughs> yeah oops <laughs> can't put my money where my mouth is apparently uh, for important reasons and we're gonna like remember this line well we can't forget this line because as we go through this scene it's going to appear at least four more times just anytime Austria says anything the bastard is going to be like, oh, yeah, Mr. Calfskin, like, <laughs> how you doing? You know, <laughs> it's going to be pretty silly. Um, OK, so we're obviously already from the, you know, the first two pages of this scene. We're already a little bit on unstable ground, although it doesn't seem that anyone would really benefit from joining Constance in her uh, complaint. But then all of a sudden, here we have conveniently identified in the next line by King Philip. <laughs> here here comes... comes the holy legate of the Pope. <laughs> oh. Can I ask a question just real fast in terms oh, of Please, yeah. Is it because I've done shows both ways where it's Milan or Milan? Okay, this is a great question. Like in the in the Tempest and here, um, what scans with the verse is Millen. That's what um, I thought. Okay. Duke of Millen. Uh, but it's also so like, names. it's so anglicized. Like, it's so funny how, how many yeah. of these, these, um, uh, oh, there was one. I, I did look this up, Danny, and I think I could be wrong, but I think it's um, in, in that, oh, Limoges. I think it's Limoges. Um, Jesse, you speak French, right? yeah Limoges okay yeah and it's confusing because it's a place in France but it's again because Shakespeare conflated the Duke of Limoges and Austria into one which is why there's this this strange this strange thing oh my god I've just been working on the the script for Henry V and there is so much freaking French in that play oh my god (laughs) I'm like I learned Spanish I'm so lost there's just like whole scenes that are in French I I don't quite know what I'm gonna do about that but we'll figure it out um and is it is it Stephen or Stefan I say so many names yeah I I think Stephen just because it's an English archbishop probably yeah but so we haven't really seen what's so interesting to me about this character um and 
the way we we staged it um in this very odd production I was in was the Pandolf came in and was like had like a red silk shirt and like this like very snazzy like tux and then like sunglasses on and was like hey guys here I am and it was just like a very odd direction to push that it was like very mafioso Um, but yeah it's like you gotta pay up we're like you know we wouldn't want something to happen to your kingdom was kind of the feeling that was it was very much um pushed in this which i i kind of in a way it makes sense because i think it's difficult for us to uh to uh, to understand the the sheer power of the church at this point that everyone there is no (laughs) reformation in john's england at this point that everyone is catholic everyone pays money to the catholic church church and they depend on the pope for their legitimacy as rulers so it is a huge authority but it's like it's hard to kind of come up with a contemporary equivalent yeah bronwyn I think I'm going to take it in a, a more Professor Umbridge kind of route. Um, I love that. Because, uh, <laughs> I, I really hate yeah, children. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think she's kind of a, or he's kind of just a, a little bit of an, an annoying uh, power grabber. I love that. Like a stickler for the rules too. And yeah, but also highly intelligent and knows how to work, yeah. work people against each other. I love it. Let's, let's hear this. Um, well, I mean, and- I, I, that's setting myself up for some sort of <laughs> expectations. <there> that- <laughs> oh no, it's going to be great. Um, so King Philip, tell us who is, who is just entered. So convenient. Oh, here comes the Holy Legate of the Pope. Hail you anointed deputies of heaven. To thee, King John, my holy errand is. I, Pandolf, a fair Millen cardinal, and from Pope Innocent, the legate here, do in his name religiously demand why thou, against the church, our holy mother, so willfully dost spurn and force perforce keep Stephen Langton, chosen Archbishop of Canterbury, from the Holy See. This, in our foresaid Holy Father's name, Pope Innocent, I do demand of thee. What earthy name to interrogatories can task the free breath of a sacred king? Thou canst not, Cardinal, devise a name so slight, unworthy, and ridiculous to charge me to an answer as the Pope. Tell him this tale, and from the mouth of England add thus much more, that no Italian priest shall tithe or toll in our dominions. But as we under God our supreme head, so under him that great supremacy where we do reign, we will alone uphold without the assistance of a mortal hand. So tell the Pope, all reverence set aside to him in his usurped authority. Brother of England, you blaspheme in this. Though you and all the kings of Christendom are led so grossly by this meddling priest, dreading the curse that money may buy out and by the merit of vile gold dross dust, purchase corrupted pardon of a man who in that sale sells pardon from himself. Though you and all the rest so grossly led this juggling witchcraft with revenue cherish, yet I alone, alone do me oppose against the Pope and count his friends my foes. Then, by the lawful power that I have, thou shalt stand cursed and excommunicate, and blessed shall be he that doth revolt from his allegiance to a heretic. 
and meritorious shall be the hand hauled, canonized and worshipped as a saint that take away by any secret course thy hateful life. O oh, lawful let it be that I have room with Rome to curse a while. Good father cardinal, cry thou amen to my keen curses, for without my wrong there is no tongue hath power to curse him right. There's law and warrant, lady, for my curse. And for mine too, when law can do no right, let it be lawful that law bar no wrong. Law cannot give my child his kingdom here, for he that holds his kingdom holds the law. Therefore, since law itself is perfect wrong, how can the law forbid my tongue to curse? Philip of France, on peril of a curse, let go the hand of the arch heretic and raise the power of France upon his head unless he do submit himself to Rome. Look'st thou pale, France? Do not let go thy hand. Look to that devil, lest that France repent, and by disjoining hand, hell lose a soul. King Philip, listen to the cardinal. And hang a calfskin on his recreant limbs? Well, ruffian, I must pocket up these wrongs, because- Your I breeches can... best may carry them. Okay, cool. Let's just pause there for a second. So that was like super ballsy of- john to do where did that come from i'm gonna ask patrick a lot of questions like it just it's like out of nowhere he's like oh i've been waiting for this oh ooh, ooh, ooh. let me throw a grenade into this situation yay i want to be excommunicated there were actually a lot of protestants during shakespeare's time that actually saw king john as sort of a proto protestant uh because of because of this all of his um issues with with um with sort of rome and and the pope although as we see he's gonna relent in act four give the crown and then he's given his crown back and then he's gonna take it again i mean it's just it's just crazy i would actually love to stage this whole thing like on a seesaw and just like a giant like the whole stage it's like when we're on one side we go this way we're on the other like because it's just such a it's like such a dizzying switches that happen but this, them's fighting words, what he just said. Them's are serious fighting words with serious consequences. I wonder if he thinks he's playing his hand and that because of what has just happened between England and France, that they will now sort of form their own power? Or what, what were your impressions, cast? <laughs> you know, it's hard to say. And, and I feel like this, I would love for people to disagree with me on this point. I feel like, this moment for John is one that I feel like I've seen played in different ways, very much so. Like I, one production I remember seeing five to six years ago, the John did it like, oh really? Well, uh, I just I, fuck you and just do whatever you want and excommunicate me and every but everyone else was like, um, what? In a sort, so he kind of played it in a sort of like. He was very specifically playing a like young-ish, petulant sort of like, you know, and, and given what yeah. happens in act two, like he's already just like petulantly like, you know what, I'm just going to, which I feel like is one choice. But yeah. then of course, like there is also the choice of like, he's been stewing on this forever and he's just yeah. like, here I am dropping this mic. 
But either way, what it leaves everyone else in his orbit to do can, is indeed a question. Um, I feel like the ripple effect of it for everyone else, the bastard, his mother, like everyone mu- must be like, um... <laughs> Oh, is this the plan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, okay, we didn't talk about that. I, <laughs> he, I mean, it's a little obvious and this you know, connection has been made so many times with so many Shakespeare characters, but it's very Trumpian, the way that he's kind of like throwing everyone off off their base when we've like all come to this agreement. Like we're gonna, okay, so like we're stable. And then just like he switches on a dime and decides to go in a different direction. So it is somewhat sociopathic. It seems to kind of just not care about the consequences of, of his actions and kind of lead the conversation any way he wants to. It seems like, go ahead. It seems like, go ahead, Jesse. It seems like a little bit of an issue for both Kings uh, and, and, and may get to something about King kingship uh, uh, in this, world uh that right they're very quick to latch on to uh sort of idealistic justifications for whatever it is they feel like would be best suited suits their interests at at the moment um uh like you know i mean they just on a dime can pull out a speech that you know a very compelling uh speech about why they should have the thing that they want. Um, but I mean, I think also to, to Olivia's point, on the, on the other hand, right, like we've already seen King John, his sort of, his, you know, he's like, when, when, when Angers is like, who's the king? He's like, well, I have the crown. I'm yeah. the king of England, right? I thought this was like, I don't know. I th- thought this was a thing we all agreed on. I have the crown and so I'm the king. Possession uh, is nine like tenths a, of the law. <laughs> like, well, I feel like you get a little bit of that here. He's like, mm, I'm the king, actually, so I you can't tell me what to do in my own country. So I think there, there's like certainly like either of those are, are definitely there. Absolutely, Bronwyn. Um, yeah, I think that more than anything, John just wants to be the most powerful person, and if that means that. God needs to take a step down from him. That's what's going to happen. And it's interesting because I think that this is like the moment, like where the decline starts, because right before this, John has literally everything he wants and needs. Like there is nothing that could go wrong until he does this. (laughs) And then the Cardinal will make it their mission to like just ruin him because John wants power. France wants peace and the church wants money and everyone's going <laughs> to follow those things. Right. So they're going to put pressure in whichever direction they need. And so it's very interesting. I think also, I think it's interesting that John uh, talks about really does this fabulous critique of the church, which, you know, that's, I mean, he's pressing all the buttons, juggling witchcraft. I mean, this was when they, you know, there was a lot of, crazy stuff going on with the church. And so I think it's really beautiful that John is the vehicle for this critique of the power of the church. That's so wonderful. I- yeah, I, I totally agree, Megan. I, I think I, I'm just recalling that in the first act, uh, 
there's a one little tiny little throwaway line in act one where he says, well, right before the bastard comes in, he goes, oh, I know the abbeys and the priories will pay for this war. And so I think that is the sort of first step in this like breaking with, with, with the church. And then in fact, in the next scene, he's going to tell the bastard, like, go and ransack every single house of worship and give me the money. And that's what we're going to use to pay for all these soldiers. But yeah, it is really very contentious uh, power relationships, but it is kind of like a third king has walked in or a representative of a third king. And it's like, we've got, now there's not just two balances. And plus we already had Constance who wasn't in agreement with either of these. So it's just interesting how, how complicated and how many, like one tries to imagine what the deal would be like that would satisfy all all of these four distinct parties. And I don't know that there's one that would be possible to create. I mean, wonderful. I just love the moment uh, when Constance is like, oh, great. Now I, I, the, 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 the Pope's guys here, we can curse King John, we can curse these guys together. And, and uh, Pandolf is like, ah, no, I'm actually not. No, we're, we're not the same. We're not together. <laughs> the Pope actually told me I, I get to curse on the Pope's behalf. So. It's so <laughs> true. It's so true. There's I have law and warrant for my curse. You're just, I don't know who you are, but like. <laughs> like <laughs> she like, she speaks with more conviction than anyone else on oh stage, God, but all so the true. other people on stage just neg her constantly. Like they're like, stop like stop that be quiet stop talking that way it's like, i mean especially in the scene after the next battle which i wish we'll get to but she's like saying the most beautiful things in grief ever and they're like oh my god shut up you know, like know. You, you don't it's it's just funny to me because to me her lines strike true and and beautifully but Shakespeare seems to be doing something where he's also kind of undermining them with the opinions of everybody else on stage towards her. So it's interesting. No, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, sorry, just briefly. Uh, She's just like totally hitting home the the idea, like it's it's like hitting home that like, she's just, yeah, lost her power and nobody's like taking her with any, you know, merit. It's, yeah, sorry, Bronwyn. No, no, I I feel like I step on everyone. I saw just like an amazing production that did that so well of like taking Constance and her saying legitimate and logical things, but they had, it was like this wedding party and they had these like big balloons of like just married in the background. And she came in and like, while the King of France is like giving one of the like father wedding speeches into the microphone, she like grabs it is like drunkenly running around with it. And then she like took a knife and like, stab some of the balloons and instead of just married it ended up saying just die and it was so brilliant of just like taking this woman who's saying legitimate things and making her like the nuisance of the party that everyone has to like kind of follow around so it was a good way of delegitimizing her while without like just making it about her being like a, a woman like the one you know yeah that's wow that's i would was, love to to see that wow when the dvd comes out i'll tell you so good fascinating that she's like a liability because she is the only one who sticks to her darn guns out of this whole group of people except maybe pandolf but like 
in this society, it seems like somebody who has conviction and follows it till the end is a problem because everybody else wants to yeah. finagle and do what, you know, just figure out different things, not from their convictions, but from what's best for the moment. She also seems like the equivalent to like the fool in the court. You know, the fool gets to speak truth to power and to the king and they, they ignore the fool as well. So it seems kind of similar. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I think, I think. Cordelia, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Too, and that, that's so, she's a liability too there because she's telling King Lear what he doesn't want to hear and standing, sticking to her guns. Or I've I've been thinking during this conversation also about uh, Cassandra or or Antigone also. Yeah. In, inconvenient women with the strength of their Yes. <laughs> and there there's so many. I mean, it does seem to be a sort of theatrical trope of like these women who like stick to their original argument and just create a very big mess for. <laughs> for the, the people who are a little bit more politically flexible. Um, and I think that particularly when it comes to women in war, Shakespeare has some really interesting, I think most of, you feel the impact of war in Shakespeare, I think the most when it's the women talking about their sons or their brothers or whomever dying, and that they're actually weirdly always woven into the language about war. Even the people that are doing the killing are talking about, oh yeah, we're gonna make all those women cry. You know, there's something like really kind of disturbing about, we see the emotional impact on them uh, consistently in the plays in a, in, a really, in a really dark way. And actually I just working on Henry V today, there's something to me so, chilling about the scene where Catherine is learning the English names for hands and nails and fingers because it's like that becomes the anatomy of power in her new marriage you know like her body becomes the body of France you know and it's there's just something like a little bit Ooh, like a little bit creepy about that and it's it's a funny scene and it's always kind of done as this like oh that's what it's called oh my god these that, what a horrible language english is you know but there is something to me underlying it that's like ooh, <laughs> you know she's she's yet another piece of land to be given or taken by by henry by the end of the play and it's just ugh just creepy anyway let's um let's hear what poor um the poor french are gonna do uh because now john also has has really it's almost like his statement costs them more than it does him because now they have to make a choice he's already he's already like here it is and now they have to decide so king john says philip what sayst thou to the cardinal what should he say but as the cardinal? Bethink you, Father, for the difference is purchase of a heavy curse from Rome or the light loss of England for a friend. Forgo the easier. That's the curse of Rome. Oh, Louis, stand fast. The devil tempts thee here in likeness of a new untrimmed bride. The Lady Constance speaks not from her faith, but from her need. Oh, if thou grant my need, which only lives but by the death of faith, that need must needs infer this principle, that faith would live again by death of need. 
Oh, then tread down my need and faith mounts up. Keep my need up and faith is trodden down. Just once again, Constance, given two words, does like the most incredible verbal gymnastics <laughs> with them. Over <laughs> just like faith need. Oh, let me show you what that relationship really is between faith and need. I love, she's so cool. Anyway, um, the king is moved and answers not to this. Oh, be removed from him and answer well. Do so, King Philip. Hang no more in doubt. Hang nothing but a calf skin, most sweet lout. <laughs> I am perplexed and know not what to say. What canst thou say, but will perplex thee more if thou stand excommunicate and cursed? Good, reverend father, make my person yours and tell me how you would bestow yourself. This royal hand and mine are newly knit and the conjunction of our inward souls married in league, coupled and linked together with all religious strength of sacred vow. The latest breath that gave the sound of words was deep sworn faith, peace, amity, true love between our kingdoms and our royal selves. And even before this truth, but new before, no longer than we well could wash our hands to clap this royal bargain up of peace, heaven knows they were besmeared and overstained with slaughter's pencil, where revenge did plant the fearful difference of incensed king. And shall these hands, so lately purged of blood, so newly joined in love, so strong in both, unyoke this seizure and this kind regret. Play fast and loose with faith, faith. So jest with heaven, make sure unconstant children of ourselves as now again to snatch our palm from palm, unswear faith sworn and on the marriage bed of smiling peace to march a bloody host and make a riot on the gentle brow of true sincerity? Oh, holy sir, my reverend father, let it not be so. Out of your grace, devise, ordain, impose some gentle order, and then we shall be blessed to do your pleasure and continue friends. All form is formless. Order, orderless, save what is opposite to England's love. Therefore, two arms. Be champion of our church, or let the church, our mother, breathe her curse, a mother's curse, on her revolting son. France, thou mayst hold a serpent by the tongue, a cased lion by the mortal paw, a fasting tiger safer by the tooth, than keep in peace that hand which thou dost hold. I may disjoin my hand, but not my faith. So let's just pause there very briefly. Um, damn, like, whoa. You make some pretty good points there, King Philip. Like, I don't know. There's something about this speech that is to me much more effective than his speeches in act two. There's something like, come on, man, we got, we got there. <laughs> like, can we just like five minutes? <laughs> I love the, the slaughter's pencil image. Um, I thought it meant pencil and I looked it up and it, it actually meant during Shakespeare's time a, a finely pointed paintbrush, like a very fine point. 
which is which is interesting. And then Pandolf just like smack it down. And again, once more, another contentious mother-son relationship there. I feel like this whole play is about contentious mother-son relationship. And more lion um, imagery. But, <laughs> yeah, more lion imagery. There you go. Um, what did either of you have any sort of discoveries while you, as you were reading that that part? I mean, I'm happy I could say that part because I'm about to have a hard time with this next bit. Um. <laughs> I mean, I think Philip, yeah, Philip is just it's like a really hard time. I mean, like on the one hand, it's, he's very quick to be like, well, I guess this will work better. But he also gets very like, all right, we got our army, everything's set. Oh, the English are here. Well, that that's not what I expected. And so sort of like, oh, they're married. Great. Oh, now he's excommunicated. I I don't know. I don't know. But it is. I mean, he is kind of being in earnest here. At least it's just his earnest confusion. He's like, well, I can't. I just they're married, so I, <laughs> I don't know what to do. We don't have a lot of options here, guys. <laughs> I think Absolutely. it's an interesting conversation because clearly um, France can see the the ability to compromise. And then Pandolf comes in and it's just, it's black or white. There's just an if and then a then, not a both, you know? And that continues on with how he's going to handle the rest of the situation and set everyone up for the rest of the play (laughs) with more, this is the consequence from that. That there is no other, there is no other way. And there's, there's something a little bit ironic about this just because everyone did just go back against their oaths you know as as Constance pointed out that everyone in the previous scene also went back on their oaths but somehow it's like oh no but this is marriage <laughs> this is real serious guys um which is which is interesting also I think that's where we get play fast and loose I think oh, they cool. comes, it comes it comes from that um we're going to get another one of Shakespeare's most misquoted uh, ones in act four, which is uh, people always say to, to gild the lily. Mm-hmm. And the original one is to paint the lily um, because, and it makes more sense because you, would, you wouldn't cover a lily in gold anyway. And, and gild refined gold. So it's like, it's so interesting how that, that little, the little phrase has gotten smushed into one, into one phrase. But I think this is where that, that, um, expression comes from anyway pandolf do you want to um take us through this like monster of a speech <laughs> have fun do i want to <laughs> do i have to yes. let's count how many times you repeat words no um all right <laughs> it's like all extraordinary right. have fun have fun bronwyn <laughs> i'm also so bad at reading out loud so just apologies I just... No. nonsense you're doing great Thank you, I need compliments always, okay. (laughs) So makes thou faith an enemy to faith, and like a civil war sets to oath to oath, thy tongue against thy tongue. But let thy vow first made to heaven, first be to heaven performed, that is, to be champion of our church. 
which since thou sworest is sworn against thyself and may not be performed by thyself for that which thou hast sworn to do amiss is not amiss when it is done truly and being not done where doing tends to ill the truth is then most done not doing it the better act of purposes mistook is to mistake again though indirect yet indirection thereby grows direct and falsehood falsehood cures as Fire cools fire within the scorched vein of one new burned. It is religion that doth make vows kept, and thou hast sworn against religion by what thou swearest against the thing thou swearest, and makest an oath, the surety of thy truth against an oath. Then thou art unsure to swear, swears only not to be forsworn, else what a mockery should it be to swear, but thou dost only to Thou dost swear only to be forsworn, and most forsworn to keep what thou dost swear. Therefore, thy later vows against thy first is thy self-rebellion to thyself, and better conquest never canst thou make than arm thy constant and thy nobler parts against the giddy loose suggestions upon which better part our prayers come in if thou vouchsafe them. But if not... Then know the peril of our curses light on thee so heavy as thou shalt not shake them, but in despair die under their black death. Wait, black wait. Damn, girl. Wow. Bravo. Well done. That is no easy task. It It is really (laughs) confusing speech. You know, I, I, I do a lot of really quite over the top, uh, tracking and analysis i mean like this is what my script oh you can't see it. my script just like looks like a whole bunch of crazy markings but i like to track when we get strong images in the text because to me that usually signifies that something's going on this does not have a strong image until the very end there's like no imagery in this speech it's very logical it kind of reminds me very very vaguely of maybe it's like Thomas Aquinas or something where it's like the, this, and this is part a, and then there's part three of part B. And you're like, yeah, what like a is contract. happening? Yeah. The it's, party, the first part, like we need the Marx brothers to like it, help it, us out here. It feels like I was going to say it's, it, it's like so logical, but also then like so ridiculous. And it yeah. feels so much, it feels much to me like a touchstone speech. Like, it, it, it's so sort of like it goes so fast and uses all the same words and so you're just sort of like is this am I actually supposed to be following this or are you just like wanting me to look like an idiot it, it like has that vibe to it which is such a weird thing to come from this character that is just we haven't got that from this character at all <laughs> and then all yeah. of a sudden there's this like weird it feels like a game that Pickles yeah. like playing by themselves like I think it's also, he sounds like a lawyer to me, you know, he's setting it up, he's representing the Pope, he knows what his deal is, and he's just laying it all out, no one can really follow it because it's all gobbledygook, doublespeak, 
And if you've heard political <laughs> and propaganda, he's fabulous. He's, he's very balanced with it, keeps an even tone. This is the way it is. And you're sort of like, at the end, you're sort of stunned. It's like, oh, oh okay, I guess so. Yeah, right. I guess you're right. Yeah. yeah. I, I assume this is what all of the terms and conditions I don't read say. Like, this is just <laughs> yeah. what you would yeah. get. And the production that I saw, uh, I mean, she just ran through this so quickly and that's exact, everyone was just like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> it just like makes me oh think God. of like, like just Juliet's like, if thou, like, you know, if thou don't swear, if thou swears proof false, it's that, that, but just like, <laughs> like so much more. It reminds me a little of, um, that speech in Henry Five. I was that, literally just going to say that. Yay! Yes. Connections. It's absolutely <laughs> that. It's like the cardinal, right? Or it's a, a it's, it's some holy man. Canterbury. England, yeah. And he's defining why Henry Five has a claim <laughs> to the throne of France. Why he's got a claim to all that land in France if he wants to reignite it and have a war. But it's so long. And I think the line right after that speech is something like, "What? What?" Oh, it's, what? I forget he, it. He, he it's, literally, it, it's literally like he goes through it. It's not that it doesn't make sense, but it's insane. Yeah. But then at the very end of this like 70 line speech, he's like, and to simply sum it up, anyone could tell yeah. that it's this. And like and, when it yeah. kills as a comedic beat, it kills. It's, yeah. it's very, it's weirdly satisfying, of course, to be punished like by totally that like 70 lines. And then he's like, and obviously, it's that. <laughs> and I think there's a line after, like, what clear thing could be more clear than this? Or something like that that's also <laughs> totally <laughs> But, like, I think it is like those iPod or, you know, or iTunes uh, user agreements or whatever. It's, it's totally legal. It does make sense. But it shouldn't be legal. And it shouldn't make sense. <laughs> like, and no one should it. have to listen like, to it. Society should not work that you can do these little things and back, you know, it feels like this speech is basically justifying breaking an oath as long as you broke an oath to make that first, to make the second oath or something like, you know, like it, it makes sense, but it's also inherently ridiculous that that makes sense at all. I was sort I of thinking, oh, go ahead. No, no, please. I was, I was gonna change the subject. So you finish your thought. <laughs> Oh, I was just going to comment on on how, the, as, as Ariana pointed out, the, the one image of the, of the rebellion and, and civil war uh, uh, that Austria then, like, clearly the only thing he heard in that entire... <laughs> Austria oh, uh, yeah, rebellion! Yeah. <laughs> That's it's what it is! <laughs> of, um, I'm getting reminded now of paroles from uh, All's Well That Ends Well, somebody who wears big clothes, who acts real tough and says he's a soldier and like says he's the shit, doesn't understand a damn thing, but wants everyone to think he understands everything. And then another character on stage sees that and like punctures it relentlessly just over and over again. Yeah. It's like but yeah, I love that he only, he heard the word rebellion. He's like, yup, that's it, rebellion. Total rebellion. <laughs> I feel it. Totally yeah. a Capitano, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Julia, did you did you have something something else oh, too? Yeah, oh, I was just gonna say because I was I've been thinking so much about like oh like who was on the throne at this point like what is Shakespeare trying to say about like the actual 
power of the like the pope like what are we what are we saying about that and i was sort of a bit confused after the the king philip thing because i was like he's talking about kind of like the sanctity of marriage and like isn't that like a weird thing to say (laughs) (laughs) to the british monarchy but then it's so like this speech that is like it, it it suddenly makes sense where it's just sort of like we can't talk about like the sanctity of marriage with the fucking Catholic church because (laughs) like, they're just going to like bullshit all this like gobbledygook that none of us are going to understand that doesn't actually mean anything. Like it has nothing to do with like actual marriages or actual bonds of like brotherhood and that kind of like actual like connections that people are making and, and like alliances that they're making. Like the Catholic church just wants what the Catholic church wants. Um, And like, I think money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think much money. that's like, that is made completely clear in the speech. And so it's, it's like interesting to see how that lays out. Absolutely. I kind of, I kind of wish, you know, that Pandolf would like pull out his, like, like a board and just have all these words and be like pointing to them. And like, as you can see, and that it's just like a completely messed up drawing by the end. He's like, well, yeah. you know, the Pandolf peril of pulled, our curses light on you. And, and yeah, he true. pulls out the most complicated <laughs> Prezi presentation that's ever <laughs> existed. It's like zooming like in that. and out. Yeah. A conspiracy theorist board with just yeah. like a weird red. Yeah. That oh, and don't forget about day. this. It's just <laughs> a long scroll that he just whips out. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, let's, let's, let's get Austria's reaction to this puzzling speech and um, go on go on through uh, more more arguments rebellion flat rebellion will not be will not a calf skin stop that mouth of thine father to arms on thy wedding day against the blood that thou hast married what shall our feast be kept with slaughtered men shall braying trumpets and loud churlish drums clamors of hell be measures to our pomp oh husband hear me I, alack, how new is husband in my mouth, even for that name which till this time my tongue did ne'er pronounce upon my knee, I beg, go not to arms against mine uncle. Oh, upon my knee, made hard with kneeling, I do pray to thee, thou virtuous Dauphin, alter not the doom for thought by heaven. Now shall I see thy love. What motive may be stronger than thee than the name of wife? Oh, witch! Upholdeth him that thee upholds. His honor, oh, thine honor. Lewis, thine honor. I muse your majesty doth seem so cold when such profound respects do pull you on. I will denounce a curse upon his head. Thou shalt not need. England, I will fall from thee. Oh, fair return of banished majesty. Oh, foul revolt of French inconstancy. France, thou shalt rue this hour within this hour. Old time the clock setter that bald sexton time. Is it as he will? Well then, France shall rue. The sun o'ercast with blood. Fair day adieu. Which is the side that I must go withal? I am with both, each army hath a hand, and in their rage I having hold of both, they whirl asunder and dismember me. Husband! I cannot pray that thou mayest win. Uncle, I needs must pray that thou mayest lose. Father, I may not wish the fortune thine. Grandam, I will not wish thy wishes thrive. Whoever wins on that side shall I lose, assured loss before the match be played. 
Lady, with me, with me, thy fortune lies. There where my fortune lives, there my life dies. Cousin, go draw our puissance together. France, I am burned up with inflaming wrath, a rage whose heat hath this condition, that nothing can allay, nothing but blood, the blood and dearest valued blood of France. Thy rage shall burn thee up, and thou shalt turn to ashes, ere our blood shall quench that fire. Look to thyself, thou art in jeopardy. No more than he that threats, two arms let's hide. So I just want to point out a few things that this little bit at the end about I'm burned up with this wrath is exactly how King John's going to die. He's going to die of a fever at the end of the play. So, oh, sorry, spoilers. Um, <laughs> and it's it's interesting to me that this is like, he's he's so weird and mercurial. He's just kind of changes all the time and he's very fiery and he's very full of anger. Um, so it, it makes sense to me that he was like, he's burned up with his own anger. I just also wanted to point out that all of a sudden Constance, um, if you're with our scripts on page 41, completely goes into a different rhythm when she has her, oh, upon my knee made hard with kneeling. She goes from iambic pentameter to trochaic tentrometer, te pentameter for those three lines, like just out of nowhere. And I was, I was scanning and I was like, wait a second, what the, what the, what? So that's kind of interesting. I, I checked in the, the folio and I, I didn't see that there was anything missing, but it's just really interesting that there's this huge rhythmic shift. And I, I don't quite know why that is. And then I also just wanted to, to talk about Blanche's speech. The sons are cast with blood. I just think that's, short and sweet and such a summation of what these people are are going through in fact i i, I directed a a compilation of scenes from the history plays called dames of thrones um and we started the play we started it with this speech because it's sort of the thesis it's like what do i do i'm torn apart by all this violence and i no matter who wins, I'm going to lose. Um, Julia, what were what were your what were your thoughts? Um, with uh, this, I with mean, this it's speech? such like such clear, concise, powerful language coming at the end of like all of these speeches of these men in power who are just sort of like arguing around like excuses for their behavior. To then have this woman just stand here and be like, "I'm, I, you're, you're, you're tearing my, you're tearing me in." in two you're tearing my body apart and like she uses this very they whirl asunder and dismember me it's like it's such horrible imagery and such I mean we were talking early like in an earlier act about like being drawn and quartered and like like this has been such a quick turnaround for her like she's she's been married like so quickly and now it, it also it, it I'm just babbling now but it, it like makes you think so much about the options of a woman and like, like just about what marriage meant. And like, it's so sad, Yeah, you know? I think, if you know, I, oh, sorry. go more on that. It seems, you know, the men, the Kings and, and everybody, they, it's all a chess game for them. It's just, we'll do this and we'll go to war and it'll be great. I've got all these soldiers, but for Blanche and for the women, these are their lives. These are actually their emotional realities. The men don't have emotions in this except just power grabs. The women, the women 
have to actually experience the the tragedies and the pain. Totally. To, oh. to jump into that, I'm so sorry if, if I may, because those, I totally agree with the both of you, but I also want to point out the, um, the gulf between the way men and women speak, especially in these moments, but also the gulf between the way the older folks and the kids speak, because Blanche, Lewis, and Arthur get so screwed by the adults <laughs> in this play. The three of them get fucked, and like, sorry to <laughs> Put it like that but like so so whereas this is a chess game for the various kings pandolf all of these men who are there constance and eleanor also have no problem risking the life and limb of children who aren't their children mm-hmm. to protect mm-hmm. what they have i feel like blanche lewis and arthur to to my ears are the th- only three people who are the ones trying to like reach a hand across and be like, maybe we can all form a connection here. And like, maybe we don't have to fight. So I think Lewis is still playing the game though. On behalf yeah, of Lewis me. is like, somebody else tell me I'm with you. Yeah. On it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I mean, it, it, you're right. But I just feel like this is a little bit more like waiting to be brought up to the big leagues. Um, and we're ready to screw people over also saying just like lady with me with me thy fortune lies I'm like well we're married so don't worry about all that other shit that's (laughs) such a terrible weird like little couplet that they have at the end there of like she gives this speech where she's like my whole life is being torn apart and he's like well you're married to me so like you gotta we have to have (laughs) yeah you know we have to to go with my family like sorry and she's just like but I've lived my whole life with these people it's such an interesting like like subversion of the sort of like traditional like couplet the shared couplet that is like yeah. normally it, it ends this kind of speech as like a, a way of showing that these two like characters are romantically united but this is like that but with like nothing but division between them it's so weird yeah yes I it's agree. very ar- very arrogant of lewis too and it's just it's just the, the man the man's <laughs> yeah. role i do think that it i i do think that this like it separating it between the youth and the older people is like the the key because I don't I feel for her like I feel for her more than most characters in this play but I don't think Constant is remotely blameless I think she Mm. does not listen to her son when he says he doesn't want what Mm. she's setting out to do Mm. and I'm sorry I keep bringing up this production but they like ended they had this like crown hovering above the stage the whole time this huge one and they ended it with the crown surrounding John's dead body and Constance placing a crown on her dead son. Like they were all three dead in this like heaven they created, but that was what she envisioned the whole play, the the hill she died on. And like everyone else, her, everyone else takes that and makes it less legitimate, but that's what she wants the whole time mm-hmm. in succession. So. Um, I, I, I just wanted to point out um, that's so true. Uh, I, I just wanted to throw in that the hand imagery in this scene is really cool. There's a lot of hand talk and this, like the marriage happens and the image of the, now the two countries are held together by clasped hands yeah. and evolving to like, let go of his hand, let go of his hand, the Pandolf's like, let go of his hand, let go of his hand for God's <laughs> sake. And evolving to Blanche saying, I'm holding on to two armies with both of my hands and they're going in, if they go in opposite directions, I'm gonna be uh, yeah. uh, ripped apart. It's, uh, I just think the passage of hand imagery through this whole scene is really fascinating. 
That's wonderful, Sam. I love that. Held between two armies, it reminds me of that like um, way of executing people where you tied them to two horses and then sent the horses going in different directions. I mean, it's uh, quartered. Beautifully, I mean, this now beautiful speech, terrifying, but beautiful imagery in a weird way. Yeah, and I mean, it goes back to what we were saying about like the commodification of like the bodies of these various children, like with Arthur, like we said before, and then, um, yeah, the, these these people who are like their body is representative of an entire country, and then to have this person be like, well, now my body represents two countries at war with each other. Like, what does that mean for for me? It's it's yeah. it's yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think there's also there's also something that was different about marriages in this time that that actually for me is was sort of a, a key to. Um, unlocking the the lady Anne richard the third scene which olivia i'm sure you could you could tell us more about that um that marriage was was not only it was also protection it meant protection for these women if you don't have a father if her father's dead if you don't have a father if you don't have a husband you are actually not protected by anyone and it, it, it leaves you in a very very um vulnerable very scary position and so the best thing to do usually was get married again um and there's 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 really there was i think a danger in not being married for these women um that is was both physical danger and also sexual danger as well for them if they weren't um if they weren't taken care of i think a, a, a different level of um association with marriage that i think most of us hopefully don't have um <laughs> uh but yeah anyway i just wanted to to point that out also yeah. one last one like doesn't have to be the last thing i was just noticing well because I'm, I'm just noticing looking at the first line of uh scene two mm. um the bastard now by my life this day grows wondrous hot some airy devil hovers in the sky and pours down mischief and just calling back to uh, King Philip's opening of first scene, uh, this blessed day, da, 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 solemnize this day, the glorious sun stays in his course and plays the alchemist. Uh, and then Constance immediately taking that and saying, it's a wicked day, it's not a holy day. Uh, and then Blanche finally calling back to all of that, um, first with, are you really gonna do this on your wedding day, Lewis? And then her final thing, um, Right, the suns are cast with blood, fair day ado. They keep changing. Yes, absolutely. It was glittering and golden. It was wicked. It's now we're cast with blood and then it's hot. Uh, when we, when we hot. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right. Thy rage shall burn thee up. Now by my life, this day grows wondrous hot. Yeah, absolutely. The, the heat and fire. So let's, um, I, I also just love, this stage direction, enter bastard with Austria's head, which is, you know, it's always fun when you get a, when you, you always got a, every, every theater company needs a, a good prop head. That's like in a bag covered in blood. It's like very useful, very useful to have. Oh yeah. It makes the bastard to me, it makes the bastard into a somewhat like unstoppable force in a yeah. way because of the, he like hounds Austria to the death. You know, yeah. Like he, he emasculates him in front of all these other kings. He makes fun of him for a whole, like doesn't let him say a word for a whole scene and then cuts his head off. And it's like, wow, the bastard does, 
bastard does what the bastard wants to do. Oh, yeah. He's a man of his word. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're also about to meet Hubert. Um, And we will learn that his name is Hubert because of how many freaking times King John says his name. Once he says it three times in a row, which is just, all right, we get it. His name is Hubert. Hubert. Yeah. This must be the only Hubert in all of Shakespeare. Then, I think I so. I think so. It must be. <laughs> Hubert. Hubert. Yeah. Now, by my life, this day grows wondrous hot. Some airy devil hovers in the sky and pours down mischief. Austria's head lie there while Philip breathes. Hubert, keep this boy. Philip, make up. My mother is assailed in our tent, in a tain, I fear. My lord, I rescued her. Her highness is in safety, fear you not. But on, my liege, for very little pains will bring this labor to a happy end. And there's more alarms, excursions, so more battles. We've now had three battles take place off stage. It's kind of like, all right, <laughs> they really had no time to create these fights. Anyway, then they come back in. <laughs> did, this, um, did King John and Hubert, like, grab Arthur on the battlefield? Like, did they basically kidnap him from whoever was minding him or whoever he was with? And I think this is a- over to their camp? Uh, I, I think there's something to the bastard saying, pours down mischief. I think this is a really confused battle because also everyone was mixed together. So that probably means that people don't know where their troops are, right? Because they were all knit together and they went to celebrate and then they came back out and they were all intermingled and then all of a sudden they're at war with each other yet again. Mm. Nobody um, wanted to fight this one. Yeah. <laughs> and they were probably getting drunk already if there was a wedding. Oh, totally. The- totally. People had cracked the ale and were like having fun and toasting. No one was like, oh shit, I gotta get back. That was some good whiskey. Uh, it's, 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 it's mischievous here. Um, and mischief can also mean chaos in Shakespeare. Uh, the most mischievous characters in Shakespeare are usually like supernatural and they usually what they like to do is, is create chaos. So much chaos. So then they, they, there's more retreating and then uh, King John, Queen Eleanor, Arthur, the bastard and Hubert and various lords come on stage again. So shall it be, your grace shall stay behind so strongly garden, guarded. Wow. Cousin, look not sad. Thy grandam loves thee, and thy uncle will as dear be to thee as thy father was. Oh, this will make my mother die with grief. Cousin, away for England, haste before. And ere our coming, see thou shake the bags of hoarding abbots, imprisoned angels set at liberty. The fat ribs of peace must by the hungry now be fed upon. Use our commission in his utmost force. Bell, book, and candle shall not drive me back when gold and silver becks me to come on. <laughs> Highness, Grandem, I will pray, if ever I remember to be holy, for your fair safety, so I kiss your hand. Farewell, gentle cousin. Cuz farewell. Come hither, little kinsman, hark a word. Come hither, Hubert. Oh, my gentle Hubert, we owe thee much. Within this wall of flesh, there is a soul counts thee her creditor and with advantage means to pay thy love. And my good friend, thy voluntary oath lives in this bosom, dearly cherished. Give me thy hand. 
I had a thing to say, but I will fit it with some better tune. By heaven, Hubert, I am almost ashamed to say what good respect I have of thee. I am much bounden to your majesty. So like, where did that come from? When did he get this chance to be thus bounded to Hubert? Like, question. Question. I, I honestly, I've, every time I've looked at this play, I can't tell if these, they just met on the battlefield or yeah, or if this guy's his, his servant who's been there in the background the whole time, or he was the guy on the wall, is the citizen in some versions. It's like, yeah. It feels very much like he's like his third cousin twice removed <laughs> and he needs a fall guy for yeah, what yeah. he's about to suggest. Like, Hubert, come with me. I need your help specifically, you know? Yeah. And it's like, we haven't spoken in five years. Okay. <laughs> he knows my name. Amazing. Completely. It's just, it's a very odd, I mean, in the folio, some of the citizen lines say Hubert and some of them just say citizen. So it's, it's a little bit confusing. I think it very easily could be the guy on the wall who was very well spoken, but yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure, but- It reminds um, me a bit of Falconbridge too, of the bastard a little bit appearing when he was suddenly able to be really helpful to John, King John. And here's like another guy who isn't necessarily King John's best friend or a major character in the court who has appeared at a time when he could also prove very helpful to dear King John, but in absolutely. a different way. I think King John knows how to use people. That thing that we were saying about like, he says Hubert's name over and over. It just makes me think of, you know how like when somebody's trying to write, it, it's like a thing that really annoys me in like, like any sort of like romantic story where like, you know how in Titanic he says like Rose so many times and you're like, like, I feel like sometimes writers are like in, in, in order to show you that the characters care about each other like they say each other's names a ton and it, it feels like king john is like trying that or he's like maybe if i just like say his name a lot he'll like think that i really like him it's like, it's like this weird forced intimacy that like doesn't yeah. have any effect really but it's just like that feels like what it is we we're like oh my good buddy i know your name yeah yeah <laughs> hubert hubert baby. hubert baby <laughs> My boy, can I call you Hubie, baby? Hubie. <laughs> so anyway, then we get a very perplexing speech. So we'll just go through because I also I really want to get to my favorite shared line in the entire canon, which is going to come at the end of the scene because it is so freaking cool. Good friend, thou hast no cause to say so yet, but thou shalt have. And creep time ne'er so slow, yet it shall come for me to do thee good. I had a thing to say, but let it go. The sun is in the heaven, and the proud day attended with the pleasures of the world is all too wanton and too full of gods to give me audience. If the midnight bell did with his iron tongue and brazen mouth sound on into the drowsy race of night, if this same were a churchyard where we stand and thou possessed with a thousand wrongs, or if that surly spirit melancholy had baked thy blood and made it heavy, thick, which else runs tickling up and down the veins, making that idiot laughter keep men's eyes and strain their cheeks to idle merriment, a passion hateful to my purposes. Or if that thou could see me without eyes, hear me without thine ears and make reply without a tongue using conceit alone, without eyes, ears and harmful sound of words, then in despite of brooded watchful day, I would into thy bosom pour my thoughts. But ah, I will not. Yet I love thee well, 
And by my troth, I think thou lovest me well. So well that what you bid me undertake, though that my death were adjunct to my act, by heaven I would do it. Do it, I not know thou wouldst. Good Hubert. Hubert, Hubert, throw thine eye on yon young boy. I'll tell thee what, my friend, he is a very serpent in my way. And wheresoever this foot of mine doth tread, he lies before me. Dost thou understand me? Thou art his keeper. And I'll keep him so that he shall not offend your majesty. Death. My lord. A grave. He shall not live. Enough. I could be merry now. Hubert, I love thee. Well, I'll not say what I intend for thee. Remember. Madam, fare you well. I'll send those powers o'er to your majesty. My blessing go with thee. For England, cousin, go. Hubert shall be your man. Attend on you with all true duty. On toward Calais. Ho. Um, anyway, that is one of my favorite shared lines in the whole canon. Because it's so chilling. Um, I was recently watching the John Barton playing Shakespeare uh, series from the 80s. Which if you haven't seen, it's just like worth watching over and over again and it's they they do this little bit they're talking about shared lines and patrick stewart is playing king john and david suchet is playing hubert that's right and they made this wonderful point that one of the reasons they can't be more explicit is the thing they're talking about is so horrible they're talking about murdering a child that it's like they can only do it through these and then they have to change the subject because it's just like so anyway very odd scene, I think. I, I don't know what you got, but I, I kept reading this and going like, what am I, like, what's going on? I'm very confused. And this all happened so fast. It feels like there's a missing scene where we got some information about Hubert. <laughs> like, why is this guy so important? Um, it really feels like in a, in a play about political realities and doing things based on necessity against morals or against any kind of fixed morality or any kind of moral system this scene almost feels like it intensifies everything we've seen before because now it's about the murder of a child yeah and it really it i don't know it almost feels like the core of that exploration like yeah and i think also that queen eleanor says my blessings go with thee I mean, she freaking blesses the murder. Yeah. I mean, she, you know, it's, it's, it's like, okay, so this is really evil mm. at its heart right here because that's your grandson. And it's, okay, he's expendable because I want this. And yeah. it's so calculating that you really see how cold-blooded it really is and what's going on. Absolutely. I find it fascinating too that like King John just doesn't really seem like that bad of a guy up at, until this point. He seems maybe a little hypocritical, a little defensive, a little like he's got something to prove and his mom like tells him what to do. But he doesn't, this comes out almost out of left field. He's ready and willing to be a child murderer. The, the thing too is like when it comes to war, like you know, you, you have your you have your people who are around you, but when you need to murder a child, you have somebody who you know will do it. You go to that person, you know? Like, I think that's what's so chilling about this scene is that it isn't like, 
like I mean it just brings Richard III to mind where like there's so much th- I feel like in Richard III there's so much guilt about it at least uh, uh, yeah. at least but but like it, when at this it's like he comes in and he's like very flattering but he he knows that like you don't bring up child murder to someone who you don't think would do it you know yeah he knows that he's gonna do it and that's why it's so short too is I think like that's what's so to me that's what's so chilling about it is that it's like all it takes is three words yeah it's such a like he can't live and the guy's like yeah yeah he's (laughs) like all right that's all you needed to say it's that's what's so freaky Uh, yeah I think he's like he's such a mob leader in this scene and he and he uh he really shows his strength, King John, as um, a conspirator and, and a, um, an influence. Like he, he can really make things happen, even if they're terrible. Um, he has a lot of strength and getting in convincing people to do certain things. Yeah, I, I would like to briefly have a moment for how long it takes him to express this, though. Like he exactly it takes him so long. And again, I, I think that is something about the, the amount of times he says Hubert's name as, as everyone very like, well, Lee, what? Pointed out. <laughs> it feels, it, it's insanely awkward and it takes him yeah. so much time. Yeah, so there, there is some kind of... Uh, something. Yeah, if it's not him. guilt, it's something. He's surely not a Richard III. Like he's not a Tony Soprano type. It feels more like a Steve Buscemi and Boardwalk Empire type or, some, or somebody who's not that comfortable asking for children to be killed. I was just going to say, it feels like he's pulling like last favors from people. Like it feels like, I don't know. It feels kind of like he's he's like, is this what I want to use my like last favor with this guy on? It's like, it, it's yeah, it's weird. Jesse, did you did you have something else? Well, no, I mean, I mean, it's just there's like, I mean, there's just a lot of ways to play it, and like right that he's right. There's the sort of the front loading the the guilt that we it shows that he he knows it's wrong. He has to lead up to it. There's also just kind of the like feeling out Hubert. Is this guy really gonna, gonna go for it? Um, yeah, I think especially when he was like, I, I had a thing to say. Um, yeah, he says like four, four times. Yeah, he says like four times. Are you into that? Are you into this thing that I'm about to say? Well, yeah. maybe no, forget it. I'll come back to it. Yeah. It's crazy. But and I also, I, I mean, I had a thing to say, but oh, let it remember. I'm oh. I have a humor. I am almost ashamed to say what good respect I have. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Yeah. It, I think there's, um, I, I was watching the Stratford, Ontario production and they very much set it in the Elizabethan time, which was, you know, that, that is a choice. It's not like the time when it would have taken place, but um, the guy who played King John was so dangerous because he was just so unhinged. He was just like very unstable you know, like he was like, oh, tickle, 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 which is a something hateful to my purposes. And the guy was like, right, right, right. And there was something like so dangerous about him in this speech that he was like, I was like, oh my God, is he mad? Is he is like King John, what's going on? Because the, the language is very convoluted and strange and talking about thick baked blood and like all of this. And it's, it's a little, it was just, it was kind of scary to watch because the guy actually 
who was playing Hubert was like, yeah, whatever, whatever you want, man, whatever you want. Like, let's, let's calm down. Let's like put the knife down. Um, sounds good. And it was an, it was an interesting, um, he frequently kind of had these like tantrums and these kind of fits. And it was, it was not something that I had, I had seen before, but it, it he is a very, I don't really know how else to use to just keep using the word mercurial like he just he changes and he he i mean it, that that imagery also comes up in other of the history plays like contrasting hotspur and hal for example hotspur is talked about as being mars and you know prince hal is talked about as rising from the ground like feathered mercury and it's like within two speeches of each other and you're like all right we got it shakespeare thank you <laughs> Like we've, we've got it, but um, this, this definitely just seemed like, like there's something a little twisty about, about the, the way in which the thoughts connect to each other is the very roundabout way of, of saying that. And then he's gone. And then he leaves his mother in France because she's very powerful. And he says, okay, so you take care of France and I'm gonna take Arthur and we're gonna go back to England. Then we get into the other side, which begins with, I called this little section before Constance came in. Wow, we really lost. Like we didn't just lose, we lost real bad. Uh, so yeah, let's, let's hear this. <laughs> These poor, the poor French over here and what, what's going on with them. <laughs> so by a roaring tempest on the flood, a whole armada of convicted sail is scattered and disjoined from fellowship. Courage and comfort, all shall yet go well. What can go well when we have run so ill? Are we not beaten? Is not Angers lost? Arthur taken prisoner, diverse dear friends slain, and bloody England into England gone, or bearing interruption, spite of France. What he hath won, he hath fortified. So hot a speed, with such advice disposed, such temperate order in so fierce a cause, doth want example. Who hath read or heard of any kindred action like to this? Well, could I bear that England had this praise, so we could find some pattern of our shame. Look, who comes here? A grave unto a soul, holding the eternal spirit against her will in the vile prison of afflicted breath. I prithee, lady, go away with me. Lo, now, now, see the issue of your peace. Patience, good lady, comfort, gentle Constance. No, I defy all counsel, all redress. But that which ends all counsel, true redress, death, death, O oh, amiable, lovely death, thou, O oh, differous stench, sound rottenness, arise forth from the couch of lasting night, thou hate and terror to prosperity, and I will kiss thy detestable bones, and put my eyeballs in thy vaulty brows and wring these fingers with thy household worms and stop this gap of breath with fulsome dust and be a carrion monster like thyself. Come, grin on me and I will think thou smilest, but 
abuse thee as thy wife, misery's love, oh, come to me. Oh, fair affliction, peace. No, no, I will not having breath to cry. Oh, that my tongue were in the thunder's mouth. Then with a passion would I shake the world and rouse from sleep thy fell anatomy, which cannot hear a lady's feeble voice, which scorns a modern invocation. Lady, you utter madness and not sorrow. Thou art not holy to belie me so. I am not mad. This hair I tear is mine. My name is Constance. I was Jeffrey's wife. Young Arthur is my son and he is lost. I am not mad. I would to God go where, for then tis like I should forget myself. Oh, if I could, what grief should I forget? Preach some philosophy to make me mad, and thou shalt be canonized, Cardinal, for being not mad, but sensible of grief. My reasonable part produces reason, how I may be delivered of these woes, and teaches me to kill or hang myself. If I were mad, I should forget my son or madly think a babe of clouts where were he. I am not mad too well, too well I feel. The distance of plague of each calamity. Bind up those tresses. Oh, what love I note in the fair multitude of those her hairs, where but by chance a silver drop hath fallen. Even to that drop, 10,000 wiry friends do glue themselves in sociable grief, like true, inseparable, faithful loves, sticking together in calamity. To England, if you will. Bind up your hairs. Yes, that I will. And wherefore will I do it? I tore them from their bounds and cried aloud, oh, that these hands should so redeem my son as they have given these hairs their liberty. But now I envy at their liberty and will again commit them to their bonds because my poor child is a prisoner. And Father Cardinal, I have heard you say that we shall see and know our friends in heaven. If that be true, I shall see my boy again. For since the birth of Cain, the first male child, to him that did but yesterday suspire, there was not such a gracious creature born. But now will canker sorrow eat my bud and chase the native beauty from his cheeks. And he will look as hollow as a ghost, as dim and meager as an ague's fit. And so he'll die and rising so again. When I shall meet him in the court of heaven, I shall not know him. Therefore never, never must I behold my pretty Arthur more. You hold too heinous a respect of grief. He talks to me that never had a son. You are as fond of grief as of your child. 
Grief fills the room up of my absent child. Lies in his bed, walks up and down with me, puts on his pretty looks, repeats his words, remembers me of all his gracious parts, stuffs out his vacant garments with his form. Then have I reason to be fond of grief? Fare you well. Had you such a loss as I, I could give better comfort than you do. I will not keep this from upon my head when there is such discorder in my wit. Oh Lord, my boy, my author, my fair son, my life, my joy, my foot, my all the world, my widow comfort and my sorrow's cure. I fear some outrage and I'll follow her. Whoa, so wow, <laughs> totally different constants that we're seeing, right? What were your impressions, Danny, reading of this, of how, how she's different from when the, the beginning of the act? Well, she just has no, um, no hope left, no power left, you know? Um, yeah, she's truly, there's nothing left. Yeah. So what does she have to lose? And what's her future? Uh, yeah. It's, it's so, it's always so chilling to me that we never see her again and that we kind of hear that she may have killed herself immediately after this. Her speeches in this very much remind me of Blanche from the end of 3-1 in that they're just such simple, clear images and language. And it's just like accentuates the sort of emotional punch of like, I think that the, just the, even the line grief fills the room up of my absent child. It's just like, mm -hmm. there's this weird image that you create with the lack of an image, right? That, that, that you see the empty room mm -hmm. as, you're, as you're saying that. You see the, and there's something so chilling. It's so chilling about that. And it's, it's like her, her, her incantation to death at the beginning is this mixing, mixture of, death and sex and kind of like this really strange sexualization of of death as this husband to come to her and and she's gonna kiss him and it's just really odd really powerful language and I feel like her imagery is catching you know in a strange way like <laughs> the king of France has this amazing speech about her hair has become gray since he saw her a second ago. She's physically transformed by this grief. And is she ripping hair out and trying to put it back in or what, you know, like beating her head and I don't know. It's like yeah, I think my, my understanding is that the, the women would have never had their hair down during this time, that it would all be sort of up and, you know, and it, probably under a, um, a cap of some kind, but that she's taken the cap off, that she's taken it and it's all just kind of, you know, she kind of looks like the bedlam that they talked about when, when you know, when King John says in the second act, bedlam have done, it's like she's become the sort of mad beggar on the, on the heath by this moment because of her grief. And it's really like they're telling her to tie up her hair as a matter of decorum, you know, as opposed to like trying to 
assuage her grief, you know, and this emotional trauma that she's undergone. They're like, no, 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 fix yourself up, make yourself like more proper. It's, it's really, really funny to me that yeah. when they're, uh, you know, when King Philip is like, you like grief more than you liked your child. And she's like, well, why wouldn't I like grief? Grief is here for me. Yeah. I, I also feel in that a, uh, an opposite or like a contrasting statement that these people she's talking to right now are not there for her at all. You know, she's like, yeah. if I, if you had a loss, like I had, I could have comforted you better than you have comforted me. You know, yeah. like there's these, these two people at least are not willing to allow this enormous outpouring for whatever reason. And they keep trying to stifle it. And I have to feel that they're, that's, somewhat contributes to her running off and who knows what happens next, you know? It's also an, an interesting question. I think to you, Danny, you know, if we were staging this is like, who are you directing these speeches to? You know, is it directed to King Philip? Is it directed to the audience? I think it's, I, I, I remember having this moment where I realized there is a son, there is a young son on stage, which is the Dauphin. Like, is there some sort of way in which you map Arthur onto this other young man that doesn't have any lines during this particular point? And it's just very interesting to me that she's having such a sort of private moment in this very public space. I think there's so many interesting choices to be made about where is, where are these, you know, lines directed to? And I just, I love the scene. <laughs> I think it's so cool. <laughs> I just had one little comment uh, about um, the the hairs, right? Oh, yeah. I, I think that's also um, like a bit of a, it's not a pun, but uh, a reference toward, because Arthur is the heir. And oh, that's she lovely. lost her hair. <laughs> I love that. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. The here apparent, heir apparent, hair apparent. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. But, <laughs> And binds, you know, and she even makes that's wonderful, Liam, because she even makes that connection. She says that she took, she tore her, the, her hair down because her son's a prisoner, but now she, she's envious of how free her hair is. So now she's going to put her hair back because her son is now also bonded. And it's interesting to me, I think it's very easy to, to take this scene out of context and think that she knows her son is dead already. And he, he isn't, he's just a prisoner, but she knows that he's going to die. Like it's, it's, she knows, Pandolf knows, as we're gonna see in a second. Um, he's like, there's absolutely no way that this kid is living. <laughs> like in this very, like very cold kind of Machiavellian way of like, <laughs> yeah, this kid's dead for sure. Anyway, were there, there any other uh, thoughts about this, this I am not mad, uh, well, I think it's really um, shocking when you become aware of the horror of evil, when you see the presence of evil mm. and there's nothing you can do about it. Here is her son and she has, there's no recourse. And so the enormous, the enormity, whatever, of, of understanding the evil is I think it's being pointed to and also in relationship to war because there are many people that lose their sons and husbands and loved ones. And it's amazing to me that 
Shakespeare gives this voice. Because in, you know, in most histories you hear, it's like battle, battle, battle. Oh, he dies, he dies. Okay, everything's all right. All right, it wasn't a good battle. We lost it. Blah, blah, blah. But here you have the personal experience of what actually is happening to human beings. Absolutely. Their lives and their, their. Absolutely. So, I think that's a wonderful point. It, it gives us context for these exactly. kind of crazy battles. Um, and, you know, even in the, the early history plays as Sam, I think, uh, is this in Henry the, the sixth part one where there's the father that enters that's killed his son and the son that enters that's killed his father. Or is it part that's two part or three? Three, but, cool. I, but my, my experience with those early history plays is that scene is like a microcosm or like a encapsulation of the theme they've been building up to through the entire Henry VI trilogy. Because yeah. Talbot and his son are these like ancient heroic heroes. And yeah. you, watch, you watch Talbot uh, lose his son in front of your eyes. That's like the, the first, you know, major son death in that series and lament. Similarly, like not, I don't think Shakespeare is quite as good yet as this, but similarly <laughs> to Constance Talbot, this great British hero, laments in a way that he's suddenly seen the reality and it's not what he thought it was and it's evil or it's it's existential it's death you know so yeah so he does seem pre shakespeare seems very preoccupied by even in henry six by family members of the people that die in these battles absolutely and i think i think without question like one of the most chilling maybe the most terrific scenes in all of Shakespeare is you know the the molehill scene with the Duke of York in uh, Henry the sixth part three and uh, I remember Rodney Cotier the the head of drama at Lambda always said that it's it's the most terrific thing because you realize it's about these two eight-year-old boys oh um, and one has just been literally not only killed but they've bled him out and Margaret has taken a, a handkerchief and dyed it in his blood and then brings it to his father and says, oh, check it out, look what I have. Yeah, but like, wipe the, your tears with this. Yeah, yeah, wipe your tears with this. But then the, the, the horrible thing about that also is that she has her eight-year-old son with her. And that's a really important detail yes. to the power of that scene that a lot of people just don't but where does she get this then, paper crown from? Her son is wearing a paper crown and she takes it off his head and puts it on your, you know. And then of course, at the end of that play, he's killed horribly and he's, and it's this cycle. And the exactly. cycle is, you know, it's uh, to me, that's one of the clearest, like, my God, watch, treat others the way you want to be treated. <laughs> because if you kill someone's infant son and wipe their blood on his face, your infant son may be killed in front of your eyes and all of a yeah. sudden you're going to see the reality of what. Absolutely. Was. And I think it's just, it's way. so amplified by the fact that everyone in these plays are related in some way that it's yeah. just like, guys, come on, like get your shit together. Like <laughs> this is just outrageous. This is the worst Thanksgiving ever. Um, anyway. <laughs> I was also just, I mean, you know, reading it's Philip in this scene. <laughs> I mean, they just don't want to hear it, right? They just, it's like, they're just, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, they're just annoyed and like slightly embarrassed. Yeah. Uh, but like, not ashamed, just like, uh, right? I mean, even from the beginning, it's like, oh, my pretty lady, go away with me. Like, I'll let you know, she's gonna, oh, she's gonna throw us, she's gonna make a scene. <laughs> uh, and just like, 
overall, I mean, King Philip's sort of obsession with appearances, and and but like for 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 all the the men in this play that um, sort of the theme that I think we've been drawing out, especially tonight, that just have no are so unable to confront the reality of the system that they are part of that uh, it's like they just it's like up oh, here's another annoying woman like <laughs> pointing out that uh, we're causing the death of well and it's also a, a reminder a visual reminder that their actions and their promise breaking has actual consequences as well um that is probably very uncomfortable to be confronted with of like oh yeah because i actually made that deal and then broke that deal her son got taken away um and there there is there's definitely something it's sort of like a, this interesting denial going on i feel like yeah it, it's um right before constance's entrance king phillips well could i bear that england had this praise so we could find some pattern of our shame right that that we, it opens with him throwing this little tantrum, like, "Oh man, we lost everything." And then, and then <laughs> Lewis is like, "Well, they, you know, they, they, they did a really good job." And he's like, "Oh yeah, do we think we could spin it that way? We're like, oh, they just, they really did a great job. It's not like our fault. They just out, they wanted it more. <laughs> <laughs> they were more rageful, absolutely." Yeah. Well, and I, I think uh, Lewis's speech, and and we're gonna we're gonna transition to that in a second here. They were so efficient. To me, is a coded reference to the bastard. I think, as we're going to see, King John kind of gives a lot of authority and a lot of power to Philip Richard, <laughs> Richard Philip. I, I think there's something in there about like he's just really good at this. He's built for this, and he's built to negotiate too. I mean, it's just like a very, very good package we got here. <laughs> well done, you. Um, <laughs> wonderful. So Philip follows her and this to me, it's, it's so interesting that we were talking about the, the children in this, in this sense. And that, uh, for me, there's, there's something about this, this little bit between Lewis and Pandolf that I, I, I titled this scene, welcome to the grown up table, Lewis, because I think there's something about it. That's like, let me let you in. Not everything is as it seems. We got like five different things going on right now. Yeah, let's let's have fun. Let's delve into that. There's nothing in this world that can make me joy. Life is as tedious as a twice-told tale vexing the dull ear of a drowsy man, and bitter shame hath spoiled the sweet word's taste that it yields naught but shame and bitterness. Before the curing of a strong disease, even in the instant of repair and health, the fit is strongest. Evils that take leave on their departure most of all show evil. What have you lost by losing of this day? All days of glory, joy, and happiness. If you had won it, certainly you had. No, no. When fortune means to men most good, she looks upon them with a threatening eye. This strange to think how much King John hath lost when so in this which he accounts so clearly won. Are you not grieved that Arthur is this prisoner? As heartily as he is glad he hath him. Your mind is all as youthful as your blood. Now hear me speak with a prophetic spirit. 
For even the breath of what I mean to speak shall blow each dust, each straw, each little rub out of the path which shall directly lead thy foot to England's throne. And therefore, Mark, John hath seized Arthur, and it cannot be that whilst warm life plays in that infant's veins, the misplaced John shall entertain an hour, one minute, nay, one quiet breath of rest. A scepter snatched with an unruly hand must be as boisterously maintained as gain, and he that stands upon a slippery place makes nice of no vile hold to stay him up. That John may stand, uh, yeah, that John may stand, then Arthur needs must fall. So be it, or it cannot be but so. But what shall I gain by young Arthur's fall? You, in the right of Lady Blanche, your wife, may then make all the claim that Arthur did. And lose it, life and all, as Arthur did. How green you are, and fresh in this old world. John lays you plots, the times conspire with you. For he that steeps his safety in true blood shall find but bloody safety and untrue. This act, though evilly born, shall cool the hearts of all his people and freeze up their zeal, that none so small advantage shall step forth to check his reign, but they will cherish it. No natural exhalation in the sky, no scope of nature, no distempered day, no common wind, no customed event but they will pluck away his natural cause and cause them meteors, prodigies, and signs, abortives, presages, and tongues of heaven, plainly denouncing vengeance upon John. Maybe he will not touch young Arthur's life, but hold himself safe in his imprisonment. No, sir. When he shall hear of your approach, if that young Arthur be not gone already, even at the news he dies. And then the hearts of all his people shall revolt from him and kiss the lips of unacquainted shame and pick strong matter of revolt and wrath out of their bloody fingers, ends of dawn. Methinks I see this hurly all, all on foot, and oh, what better matter breathes for you than I have named? The bastard Falconbridge is now in England, ransacking the church, offending charity. If but a dozen French were then in arms, they would be, as a called train, 10,000 English to their side. Or as little snow tumbled out, anon becomes a mountain. Noble Dauphin, go with me to the king. It's wonderful what, what may be wrought out of their discontent now that their souls are top full of offense. For England go, I will wet on the king. Strong reasons make strange actions. Let us go. If you say I, the king will not say no. Whoa. Damn. Welcome to politics 101, baby. I like, guess let's just go for it. Yeah. It's so revealing to me of like the political power of the church and how they yeah. know how to spin like anything like the whole bit about the natural phenomenon and like so if he does this if there's like a rainy day 
we can use that in our favor. <laughs> it's like, if there is one cloud in the sky, we'll be like, yep, yep. Revenge on John, that one rain cloud. Like, it's just kind of extraordinary. What, what, what were both of your uh, impressions of this, of this interesting relationship? I, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for a rope, definitely. And I think uh, the, the Pope provides it. I mean, just like, I'm, I'm sunk so low and just, this is a wonderful version of this, of what just happened to us that I like. And this will lead to me being a king. I love this. I love this idea. Let's do this. The, sure. the manipulation is just so, so thick. Um, and it's, again, it's taking advantage of someone who wants more. You know, everyone in all Shakespeare plays pretty much want more than they have. Commodity. And exactly. And this person is going to give it to him in the name of religion and justice. But really, it's just about giving power to someone else that will continue to give me money. Absolutely. And we're going to see that Lewis kind of grows a backbone by the end of the play and is like, no, you know what? I'm sick of being used by you. Um, which like, creates Where's even... the money you've paid? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what soldiers are you risking? Who uh, You're not risking your life. Um, there, there's a really interesting sort of learning curve, I think, that, that he goes on in this in this play. But also, to me, what's so like what's so kind of bitter and creepy about this scene is that it's coming right after Constance just exited and had this huge, you know, it's like, this is the result of all of that conniving and manipulating. And now it's just like, all right, on to the next act. Like who, who can we manipulate next? And um, there's something like just deeply cynical to me about this, about this section. Definitely. Well, it's only that it's the church that I'm able to really go along with this in the first place, too, I mm. think. Yeah, I mean, that or my father, I guess. But if you say it's okay, Pope, then I guess my father will say it's okay. <laughs> so, And it's and not I even like the church's power directly. It's like this man who's just like, yep, this is it. And you can't <laughs> say no because I have the power of the church behind me. But like, also, I could have gone rogue. You know, Pandolf also is calling upon the gods. This is this is from the heavens that this is ordained with the meteors and the part of the signs. It's like the tongues of heaven speak here. It, it is not just me. It's like the gods have really ordained this, that this is how it's supposed to go. So mm -hmm. so chill and just, you know, carry on. Yeah, it's it's very much a sort of like, let's just wait because John's gonna shoot himself in the foot. I love this this last line of yours, Lewis. The strong reasons make strange actions is such a that's such a you. I, somehow I kind of expected him to say strong reasons make strong actions, um, but something about the word strange. This is very strange. This is a very strange way of thinking about the world and, yeah. and the way that power works in this world. Right. Um, well, yeah, it's it's no definitely an uh, adulting moment for yeah. Lewis. I think. <laughs> It's one thing to Adulting. murder a child, <laughs> you yeah. know, like murdering a child is one thing and then using it to your advantage is a whole other, you know? Absolutely. That's Both are one. disgusting. Yeah. Like the CIA, plot yeah. another coup. CIA. Yeah. yeah. I've got a, I've got a pronunciation question, sorry, yes. or an emphasis yes. question. Uh, ab abortive, is it stages? Um, well, let's look at the... 
abortives i think it's presages wait presages. hang on abortives presages and tongues of heaven yeah presages i think okay i just um, got real tripped up and abortive <laughs> here is interesting it's connected to abortion but it means an abortion of nature which is kind of interesting i think richard the third gets called that quite frequently he's called abortive this makes me think of richard too because another play a you know a tyrant takes over things are really getting bad but when he kills those two children that really is like a, it also in true in real life the rumor that he killed the kids like turned a ton of people against him but like in the play too you know it's but i feel like it's such a weird exploration of like is it worth it is it worth it to profit off of a tyrant doing something so horrible that finally everyone turns against them? I, yeah. I feel like Shakespeare's almost really interested in that. Like, well, if someone had to kill a kid to finally get out of power, that's great that they're out of power, but like, what are we talking about? Here? Yeah. What kind of life? What kind of freaking life are we talking about? Why does it have to take that? Absolutely. Stephen uh, Greenblatt wrote a, a book that came out a couple years ago called Tyrant, and it just explores the, the concept of tyranny in Shakespeare and very, very, very transparently um, points a, a finger and a connection between tyranny and the current White House administration. Um, it's an interesting book, but um, there, there's a lot about this, a sort of fear of, of tyranny, but also a fear of rulers of being called a tyrant that was if you were called a tyrant that was not good for you um as well so there's an interesting balancing act that kind of has to um has to happen complicated complicated stuff but i, I love this this we end with sort of welcome to the power club my friend like welcome to where all the propaganda comes and this is how it works. This is how the world works. And it's such a kind of grubby way <laughs> that the world works. It's like, oh, this is not nice. This is, this is not a nice, a nice world. But also, I wanted to say that, you know, when you kill a child, this is the, this is disrupting the natural order of nature. Absolutely, and, yeah. and, and that is when the, when the order when the natural order is disrupted, then everything is wrong with the world. It's sort of when Trump decided to separate children from their parents. This is not natural. This is not mm. natural in you know uh, the human dynamic, and you have the fallout. Absolutely. And it plays to that like children are supposed to be the future of the world, right? Exactly. So if the people that are currently in charge are killing children to keep themselves in power that is exactly it is ruining the future of the world yeah. it's against the natural order of and life. there's That's usually form is formless order orderless yeah people adopt the England very fun little antitheses there um using using the word against the word quite literally well, wonderful, everyone. Thank you so much. Uh, that was act three of King John.